So who's friend or who's fan of friends? Couple people? Really? Just a couple people, huh? All right, who's a fan of Ross? No. <laughs> we had one person on staff, Jacob, who uh, I think described Ross as whiny. So that's how he views him. Uh, yeah, welcome. So this morning we're kicking off a new series, and uh, I have the clicker. So we have this new series coming up. There it is, Pivot. That's what we're talking about. And we are borrowing that phrase from friends, Ross. I'm Nate, one of the staff, or one of the pastors here on staff, and I just want to talk to you this morning, real quick, before I get into why I'm holding a basketball, the main idea of the sermon. I just want to give it to you up front. This is the main point. I have nothing more. This is it, okay? You ready? Okay, let's work together. There it is. We need to pivot in life because God wants to grow us through relationships. I'm going to say it one more time. We need to pivot in life because God wants to grow us through relationships. That is the main idea of this sermon. You don't have to listen to me anymore. My permission to you. You can sleep, but I will throw it, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. I won't. But I, so the reason I'm wearing a basketball, wearing, wearing, geez. The reason I'm holding a basketball is because with my physique, you can tell I had a basketball career. No, I did not. No, I didn't. I love basketball, but I'm built like a bouncer, you know? Or a professor, <laughs> you know, not really uh, too in tune with the ball. So growing up, I loved to play. And when I was thinking about pivot, I thought of this story. I was in elementary. We had a basketball team. I went to a Catholic school, private Catholic school. And you know, if it's a private Catholic school, nobody gets cut. <laughs> you know, that team, oh man, fun to watch. Might not get a basket, but it's fun to watch, Okay. So I finally get my shot. Uh, I, I get the ball. It's passed to me. I'm actually at a, it's just right at a jump shot. That's all I had to do, just put it in the basket. You know what happens? Well, first, before I say that, what happened? I, at that age, uh, I was blessed with wearing glasses. I called them my serial killer glasses, you know? One of the things that, they're, they're more of a face mask, and then you have the thing that ties it, you know, and keeps it all together, so if they fall off, it's still around your chest, okay? You don't lose your glasses, <laughs> you know? That's the point. I was that person. So I get the ball to me, and I have the ball. Through my eyes, you can see, because they're like magnifying glasses, okay? I can, I can burn ants with these glasses. That's so strong, okay? I get the ball, the ball, fi I finally get it, get the jump shot, shoot it, you know what happens? It gets stuck in the rim. Oh, I didn't know that could happen. I didn't know that was even an option. You watch Michael Jordan, that never happens, okay? I shot the ball, it gets wedged in between the rim and the backboard. The whole game just stops. Looks at me as if I did something wrong. I did what you told me to do, shoot the ball, right? It got stuck and our six foot nine coach walked over and just tapped it out. But that was my beginning to basketball. And I'm not here to talk to you specifically about the ins and outs of the game. But I do want to say this. When I was thinking about pivoting, it reminded me of basketball because there is a pivot foot in basketball. It's what keeps you anchored. And I'm not going to go into the whole philosophy of it. But when you pivot in basketball, you're able to move with the ball and actually be grounded and anchored somewhere. So you can pivot around this foot as much as you want, or you can pivot around the other foot, and I'm not going to give you all the ins and outs of why. You can look that up. Google's great. But there's a pivot foot. And one of the reasons why this we have a pivot foot is because the game of basketball is so fast-paced. It's incredibly fast. 
And there's moments in that fast-paced game where you can grab the ball, hang on to it, protect it, and actually think what to do next. Pivoting is just like in basketball. It actually happens in our life all the time. All the time. And that's what I want to talk to you about. I'm not going to hang on to this because I will play with it all the time, so I'm going to put this here. Sorry if it clashes. All right, so here we go. I want to talk to you, though, about deconstruction. Has anyone heard of this topic right now? It's a term, deconstruction. Anybody? One, two, okay, a couple people. All right, better than first service. First service, I think there's one. Deconstruction, if this term you don't know, you probably will hear more of it. It's It's actually happening more in the church than you realize deconstruction is exactly kind of what the word means. Something was built, and now it's being broke down. Richard Rohr, someone, an author that I really like to read, wrote a lot about this in a recent book called The Universal Christ. And he unpacks it in this way. There's construction in our spiritual life where we attend church, we go to Sunday school, whatever it was that we grew up or not even part of the church, However we grew up, there is a foundation that has been laid. That foundation is what you experienced. Memorizing the Bible, not memory. Whatever your foundation, there's a foundation that was built. That's construction. Then there's a moment where we deconstruct. We all do with this. We all deconstruct. And that word throws us for a loop. And a lot of even Christian leaders don't know what to do with that. It's It's insecurity. That really that comes out through deconstruction. It's a humilify, it's, it's humbling us so that we can then reconstruct to move forward. If deconstruction was just left by itself, it would be very harmful. But this element from construction to deconstruction to reconstruction is actually a, not even a philosophy, it is a philosophy, but it's also an interpretation of the Bible. There was creation. Then there was a flood. And then there was recreation. Even talking on a Jesus level, on our hearts, there's a death for re-life. This is actually really ingrained in our spiritual walk, as long as it's put together. So deconstruction is a lot like pivoting. But there's language that I feel it would be really helpful that we talk about more pivot language. And left alone, our pivot language, just as human beings, left alone, this is what we kind of tend to gravitate to. Oops, I have ahead of myself. Man, I even had this great. Okay, so sorry. Stick with me, all right? (laughs) This is just my brain. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, famous passage of scripture. This is the language that I want to put around for pivoting. This is our language, okay? It says this. This is Paul just writing a letter to the uh, Corinth, a church, and they were dealing with so many issues, so many issues. And all of a sudden, this statement comes out of nowhere. It says this. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, has anyone, if anyone has declared over your life, that I am going to live a life in love with Jesus. You've asked for forgiveness of your sins. You have come to a place where knowing that you are a sinner, I now now, I repent, I've asked for forgiveness, and I'm moving towards a life where I'm in love with Jesus. 
there is a new creation. Uh, a little hint, if you don't know this already, if you are working with the Bible, and sometimes it gets really confusing, a simple hack, if you will, that will help you understand more of the language is use different versions. So here's an example of that. Same verse, different translation. Says it this way. And different translations help unpack different words. There are nuances in these words. And it's for good reasons. Our modern day language did not fit in the Greek or Hebrew box. And we have to work hard at understanding what does this really mean. So here's another translation of the same verse. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. That hits a little bit closer. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. What I'm finding is our pivot language should be around old and new. However, this is what we tend to do. We make these about wrong, right. And we constantly are pivoting between wrong and right instead of old and new. See, for example, old, or I'm sorry, right and wrong, that's a big difference. The biggest point of us for always to be right and wrong. And here, I just want to blow the perspective up here a little bit. We're not perfect. At all. Today, there's so much happening in our world. Today, with all of our technology and our advancements, there's still war. If we want a perspective of what human nature is really like, it's on display right now. Horrible. And in that, our fight is always about right and wrong. Being right and wrong. And I want to be really, really clear with the church, you guys, myself, this is just as much to me as it is to everyone here. Online, whoever's listening, this is, I want to be very, very clear. If we do not change our perspective here, we are going to lose the next generation. I desperately mean that. If we do not change this perspective, we will lose the next generation. I even had, I've had so many conversations about this. One in particular, I was at a small country church. The vice chair's son, who was an adult, did not attend church anymore. So I, meet, I met with him. I went out and found him. You know what he told me? He will not go to church because there's too many hypocrites. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Oh, sure, I know. I know, I'm one of them. <laughs> sure, but what, how do you make that right? It's so, so difficult. And really, what has caused the problem, why there's so much tension there, is because we've pivoted between right and wrong instead of looking at this perspective as old and new. Such a different way of looking at it. What happens if you look at it old and new? I'll give you an example. 
I remember, I think it was middle school, high school, and I went to a church camp for the first time at Hastings, Michigan, not too far away from here. And I was going there because there were girls. <laughs> just be honest, you know. There gotta be girls, so I'm going. And I just remember being in a place where I had, I had zero desire to connect with Jesus. I grew up in the church. And I wasn't expecting anything. I just wanted to go and have fun, be different. They're going to camp. And all of a sudden, one of the sessions, the speaker challenged us and told us as students, after this message, he encouraged us to go out during the day, find a quiet place, open your Bible, and pray a prayer. And he asked, he asked us to pray this prayer. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. As a kid, I, I've never prayed like that. Never prayed like that. So I was wrestling with that. What does that mean? So in this space of all by myself, trying to cry out, trying to figure out what does this look like, I was here and I just kept saying that prayer over and over and over. And all of a sudden, it, it changed me. My prayer life changed. There's a dynamic that changed so drastically, so specifically, because all of a sudden, my prayer life that used to be all about me, everything I needed to get right, everything I, I'm fighting for, I need to be successful, I need to have a career, I need to get out of debt, whatever's here, I, I, all of a sudden, it all shifted, and it became about, all of a sudden, I was being loved on. In this moment, I can't describe it. It doesn't like, always be clear, but there's a moment where all of a sudden there was a breakthrough at my soul level, at my heart, where all of a sudden now here's Jesus like never before. There's another time for me. This, this happens all the time. Just because I'm a pastor, I still pivot all the time. So there's another time. I was an adult, we had kids. Decided to take our first missions trip to a third world, country, third world country, Guatemala. Never been there, never been out of the country before. And here I am leading students and families on this trip. So I tried to make everything right. I worked so hard just to make sure everything was right. All the pieces put together. We debriefed the right way. You know what I found? There's something on that trip. Changed my life. The minute we get to Guatemala, we're there to build a hut the size of a bathroom for a family of five. I'm here and I'm ready. I'm strong. I can lift, whatever. And all of a sudden, I notice there's an orange tree in the midst of all these huts. An orange tree. And the minute we get there, the people take all that they have, this orange tree, and they start giving us their oranges. Immediately, without even a second thought. They have nothing. And it completely changed me. 
That was grace I've never seen before. It, I, I did not have to unpack it perfectly either. I didn't know, is that from Jesus? No, immediately in that moment, it brought me to my knees. And I immediately said, I want that. I, I never want to settle for anything but that. I want to see that in everything that I do. It changed me. That's what pivoting looks like from the old to the new. And it's a constant flow. And I just want you to know, this is a human perspective. Because as Kirk has already said, all Jesus sees is the new. All Jesus sees is the new. But this, this takes time for us. We have to catch up with God, what God has already created in us. And I, I want to remind anybody who is a new creation right now, you have everything you need. You don't lack anything at all. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ who is perfection, who is love. There's nothing here you lack. So, what do we do with this? Where do we go? So what? I'm already starting, but I'm just giving you a heads up. Uh, it's a longer so what. Okay? So it's like, and now we're going to close and 20 more minutes. Yes, I'm doing the pastor card, okay? It won't be 20 more minutes, I promise. But there's two things I want to focus on as we close. Jacob wrestles with God. There's a story in the Bible that really puts in perspective, I feel like, this pivoting moment over and over and over. And it's a random, almost weird, bizarre story. But as you already know, um, Ashley already read part of the concluding aspects of Jacob's story, and that there's a lot to it, and you can read it for yourself, but Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 22 is where I'm reading. I just, I did not put this on the screen because I just want you to listen. I want you to listen. If you, if you want any proof or any evidence, even in the Old Testament, what this wrestling, pivoting looks like, it's right here. That night, Jacob got up, took his two wives and his two female servants. He liked women. And his 11 sons, I'm sorry, it was right there, and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, here's the point that I want you to hear. He sent over all his possessions. Here it is. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wretched as he wrestled with the man. The man said, let me go, for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with human beings and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called this place Penel saying it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Penel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Fascinating story. And here's the point. When we wrestle, when we fight, God could easily overpower us. God could easily win. 
There is no battle with God, but yet God allows there to be a wrestling match. God gives space for us to wrestle, to pivot. And there's a lot of fighting that happens right here because we have a God that never leaves us. And when we're made new, we are constantly trying to figure out what does this new creation really look like. And then we also have an enemy that's pulling us back to the old. And we know what old looks like. It's self-centered. And this is the part of the church that feels hypocritical so much. There is gossip in the church. There are people that backstab. There are people that bully today with sarcasm. There are people all over. I was the DeWitt campus pastor for a little bit, and when I was over there, I heard stories of what it was like here way back in the day. And there were some struggles here. Honest, absolutely struggles. We know what old looks like all the time. All the time. But the battle really is for our heart. That's what this is really about. It's about love. And so I want to read you one more quote from a book by C.S. Lewis. He wrote this first in the 1960s. And you can get it yourself if you'd like to read. But this is him talking about this wrestle over love. And I just want you to listen to these words. 1960, he penned these. He says this, To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. Catch that word, broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact... You must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can perfectly be safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. If you want safety, if you ultimately want to be selfish, what you're really asking for is hell. Hell is the place there is no love. And so really what we talk about, pivoting, and again, this week for me, I'm just setting this up. We have all kinds of topics that are going to be coming your way. We're going to have women in ministry. We're going to talk about what's it like to biblically understand what we've been talking about when it comes to racism. These are issues we need to wrestle with. And it's okay to wrestle with. There is nothing wrong with wrestling. We deserve this. And what I find here, when we do pivot, and there's evidence of pivoting, it's not evidence of backsliding, it's evidence that you haven't given up. You haven't given up. 
you're still fighting. You're still here. You're still trying to interpret. You're still trying to understand what this new creation is all about, and that is the point. And if you are here today that you are in the old self, you've never experienced what it's like to be made new, there's never a better opportunity than today. Because this series is going to be talking on a mature conversation. And I want you to buckle up. It's going to be uncomfortable. There may be moments where we just don't even have an answer. Who knows? But here's what I promise you. We can always trust the Lord. We can always trust Jesus. We can always trust the Holy Spirit. And so that's where I want to conclude today with this statement. And this is what I hope you are praying through. I hope that you are considering this for your own life as we journey through this together. We need to pivot in life because God wants to grow us through relationships. You have all kinds of experiences. And we always expect, I think, God to grow us in our experiences. And if that was the case, it wouldn't be about relationships. God grows you through relationships. So, as we start this series off together, I hope you're prepared. God's going to take you places, and I'm so excited for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just this space, for this time where we can be together, talk through honest issues, and understand we're not alone in this. And sometimes right now, even in the battle, there is such a battle. And right now, there, there could be somebody in this room that's actually battling against you, your heavenly, their heavenly Father, God. And Father, I just am amazed that you even allow space for that. We could be battling the, our enemy. We could be battling ourselves. We could be battling other humans. Whatever it is that we are pivoting on, Father, I pray right now that no one in this room would feel hopeless. But they would know you've never ever left them, nor will you ever. And so, Father, I pray right now that we would embrace the truth that you are wanting to grow us. And I pray that would lead us forward. In Jesus' name, amen.